are in week two of Summer in the Psalms. And uh, last week we talked about what it really looks like to be in God's presence and to, uh, to sit next to the source. We talked out of uh, Psalms 1 and, and how the, the tree planted by the water and, and, and how when we're connected to the source, we are fed to, uh, to, through God's purpose and plan in our life. This week, I kind of want to piggyback off of that and give you a little bit more of a how-to um, and, and some things that I really feel like uh, we spiritually see in the summertime. And here's, here's the thing about the summertime is uh, vacations happen, you know, and, and it's not that. Here's the thing. It's, it's funny because very few people get summers off unless you're a teenager or a teacher or, you know, like most people still have to get up and go to their jobs. But there's something about summer that gives us this like almost like relaxed chill mode. Like we look forward to lake days and river days and just hanging out and barbecuing. We sp- Here's the interesting part is spiritually, summers kind of tend to do the same thing. We spiritually, we have these seasons in our life, and, and it's actually, if you, if you track uh, Christianity in general, you know, in the seasons in modern, uh, modern times, you see a, a push in the fall and in the beginning of the year, you see a push of spiritual growth. And then during the summer, you see this kind of this lull where uh, church attendance drops off, which is understandably with some vacations and stuff like that. But not only that, but you see uh, spiritual growth kind of bottom out as well. And people have to come back and, and, and write, kind of get readjusted in the fall. And they're like, okay, I love Jesus. Let's go. Um, and, and my goal, my challenge is always, God, don't let us get trapped in this lull of Christianity where it's not that we walk away, but we just kind of put on autopilot our spiritual faith. Like, okay, you know, I'm going to put it on cruise control and just let it coast during the summer. Uh, And so that's my challenge this morning. I want to start by saying something that I ended last week with, which I think is very key and may, may become kind of like something that I go back to throughout this summer in the Psalms, which is Jesus's call is transformation of life, not affirmation of identity. God did not call us to, to say, hey, you know, whatever, whoever you want to be, whatever you think your identity is, I'm going to affirm that, and I'm just going to kind of jump in the middle of it. He came to say, I've given you a purpose and a plan in life. I've given you an identity, and I want to be the core aspect. It's not that, listen, your personality doesn't change when you come to know Jesus. Your personality actually gets elevated when you come to know Jesus. Um, if you look at Paul, the, the apostle, before he was Paul, he was Saul. Saul was a very active, very um, out there. I mean, he was, he, he was so um, excited about his faith as a Jew. Uh, and and he, would, he was all for murdering and uh, imprisoning Christians or people of the way. And, and he was just, he didn't, he was like, hey man, I, you know, priest, can I, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go get some more of those guys from the way. And they were like, go for it. And he was excited and he was, he was living, he had a purpose. When he came to know Jesus, he didn't just go, well, now I'm a Christian, so I'm going to just kind of be quiet and sit on the sidelines, and I'm just going to sit here. No, Paul was like, hey, I'm going to take that same excitement, that same passion I have for life before Jesus, and I'm going to apply it to this new life with Jesus. And, And he was just as boisterous and just as passionate for Jesus than he was when he was before Jesus and, and, and living life. And I think a lot of times we think that Jesus changes our personality. I believe that he just perfects it. 
I believe that he makes it stronger, makes it better, makes it alive more. And, and, and not everybody's a Paul. Not everybody's a Peter. Some people are, are background people. Some people are the quiet ones in the background, and, and, and they, they get the job done, and, and, and they're just, you know, not everybody has to be extroverted. And I, and I even almost hate that title of extrovert, introvert, because then we say, well, if I'm introvert, then I can't do extrovert things. That's a bunch of horse garbage. It is. I think we tell ourselves that so that we don't have to be pushed out of our comfort zone to do new things. Well, you know, you know, Pastor, I'd love to help out in church, but I'm an introvert. I can't. It's, it's not in me. And I would say to this, it may not be in you, but you won't know unless you try. You won't know unless you step out of that comfort zone and you, you say, hey, you know what? I want to do something for God that is going to make a difference. I don't want to just sit on the sidelines and know Jesus from afar. Today, I want to talk about rekindling a fire. How many know that when, uh, when you go camping, typically there's a fire pit involved, except in the South. I really hate put it, starting a fire in the summer. That is like the worst idea ever. In, in, on the West Coast... It gets like 60-something degrees, sometimes drops into the 50s on the West Coast. So during the summer, you need a fire. Like You're like, ah, summertime fires, yay. Here, it's like, hey, it feels really muggy and hot. How can I make this worse? Let's start a fire and sit by it. Yeah, that sounds horrible. We went camping this last week, and, uh, and, and, and we were going to do s'mores. And, and the final night came, and, and everybody went to the trailer. And I was like, I'm kind of glad because I don't want to sit by a fire tonight. I really don't. Like, it would have to be like one o'clock in the morning for me to feel like, yeah, somebody start a fire. And even then, sometimes one o'clock is still muggy and horrible. And, and, but, but what happens when the fire starts to go out and you don't want it to go out? You have to stoke it. You have to grab a piece of wood or maybe you're fancy and you have the little metal, you know, uh, you know hook thing. And you, I don't, there's a name for it, I'm sure. Fire poker. It makes sense, right? Why not call it what it's supposed to be? It pokes fires, and uh, and, and and you know you kind of you kind of move the wood around, and it and it breathes that oxygen in, and you get that life back into the fire. You don't even have to add wood to it. Sometimes all you need to do is move the wood around for the oxygen to hit that fire and go. We're back alive. And I'm telling you, sometimes it's not that our lives are so far off from God, and I think this is where we get it twisted: is that we go, I'm so far away from God. No. Maybe you just need a spiritual fire poker to your life to say, hey, keep going. Don't let it get to you. Don't get down. Don't let the, the fire dwindle out to where you have to start like all over again. Just, just, just stoke it enough to, to get that flame and oxygen of Jesus in your life to go. <sighs> See, we have to be consistent. We have to be consistent with fire. We have, to, we have to build it properly and we have to give it the right amount of fuel. It's no different in our spiritual life. We have to build it consistently and we have to give it enough fuel to build the Jesus in our life. And I, and, and I think sometimes we, we, when we talk about uh, things like you know, coming back to the altar and, and repenting, we go, oh man, I'm a horrible person. And, and God's saying, no, no, no. Maybe it's just that you've just taken a little time. Maybe you've coasted. Maybe you put it on autopilot. Maybe you've allowed some, some small things into your life that have allowed you to forget your first love, right? That's what Revelation says. Don't forget your first love. Don't forget the, the person who has given you life and, and spoke purpose over you and spoke, spoke uh, God's plan over your life. Don't forget your first love 
and build that fire. So here's, here's the, the, the foundation of this morning is found in two uh, scriptures in Psalms. Psalms 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And Psalms 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I love these two sets of scriptures. Look at, look at all of the things that it tells us. Both of these written by King David, he says this. He says, search me. He says, test me. He says, point out in me the things that offend you. He says, lead me along your path. He says, create in me and restore a loyal spirit within me. What a prayer. What, what an amazing prayer, two prayers that David speaks right here. He says, hey, listen, it's not that God moved, it's that I moved. And I think that, that the, the worst thing that we can think is that, that somewhere along the line, God moved and, 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 and he's playing hide and go seek with us. <laughs> like, he doesn't, like, he's not like, well, watch this, watch, 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 their life's going to be a mess. Oh, I'm hiding from him. It's not that God moves. It's that we get comfortable, we get complacent, we get uh, a kind of a, a, a lulled into everything's okay, and, and we just start taking small steps away from where he would want us to go. Because with him, it can be a little uncomfortable. With him, it can be a little challenging. With him, we, 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 can, we can have this unknown that we don't like. And once everything gets good, we just kind of go, hey, okay, whew, God, can we stop for a minute? And we just kind of lull ourselves into it. And this is where David's at. And he's saying, hey, listen, search me, God. Search me and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. <laughs> Anybody in here with like anxious thoughts ever? Like, Hello. And here's what I love about David is that he, I really believe that he struggled with some of these mental mindsets. And, and, and I think we're really, and I, I don't want, I want to, I want to dive carefully into this because I think sometimes as a church, we can say, oh, just pray over your mental health and it'll be healed. No, that's not always how it works. Sometimes we need medicine to attach with Jesus. I am not a big believer in just going, oh, just pray for healing. It'll happen. I believe that God gave us doctors. Amen. Um, and, and just like if, listen, if, if, if I came through and I chopped Rodney's right leg off, he wouldn't just go, somebody pray for me. <laughs> it's okay. Just bleeding out here. Somebody, somebody pray healing over my leg. No, we'd be like, bro, you need to go to the hospital. There's something like we're having a Monty Python moment here and we need to get you to the hospital. Right? Like we would, but, but when it comes to things we can't see, like mental health, we just go, well, it's just a spiritual attack from the devil, and you just need to pray it away. And that may be true. Like, I'm not denying that prayer doesn't work. Prayer does work, and prayer can heal mental health. But sometimes Jesus also will say, hey, I've given people uh, worldly wisdom to help you along the way. And if you have to take medicine for, for a while or for the, your lifetime to balance out with the spiritual things that you know to do, then so be it. And he says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Why? Because he wanted God to know, hey, look, I may not have it all together, but I'm still trusting you. I may not, may not know how to function sometimes, and my brain may get ahead of me, and I may get overwhelmed with the day. But here's what I know, that I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to lean in. Because he says, listen, he says, point out anything that offends you, and then lead me along your path. That was his prayer. 
I want to go into the fall better than I came out of my spring. Doesn't that sound like a good plan? How many would like to say, man, you know what, I want to, and I know we, I, we say fall, and I think August naturally, but like November. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I want to go into my fall a better person, a stronger spiritually person than I was when I left my spring. I don't want this summertime to attack and attach itself to a, a lull in my spiritual life, which means that I have to be intentional with my summer. I have to be intentional with the next six to eight weeks of my life and say, God, grow me in this season. So I want to give you a couple of things uh, this morning that you can do to build through the summer a spiritual walk that will be strengthened for the next season. The first thing is this. You have to surrender to God's investigation. Can I tell you? Not easy. It's not easy to surrender to God the things that are going on in your life. He says, search me, O God, and test me. If I gave you full access to my life and said, hey, anything you see that doesn't look right, I want you to hit me up on. Then, then you have the ability to look at my life and say, hey, Scott, what about how much time you're spending on your phone? You know, I've, uh, I've given you an app, and, and I can see, man, you, you're averaging like six hours a day. The heck are you doing? Like six hours of your awake time, which some of you are like now wanting to go back. If you have an iPhone, I don't know about Googly phones, but iPhone, um, you, can, you can get on there, and it'll tell you your daily average, and then you can click on the day, and it'll tell you how many hours every day you've spent. And, and, you know, six hours doesn't sound so bad except for when you think, like, you sleep six to eight hours, okay? You start doing the math, your, your day is dwindling away, and six to eight hours on a phone seems tremendous. And then it gets really bad when you can look on your phone and it can tell you uh, in what category it was broken down to. So you can't even be like, well, I had a busy day on my phone. I was just texting and calling people all day long. It's like, yeah, three and a half hours of entertainment. Like, search me. And now I have the opportunity, if, if, if I gave Rodney that access, and I said, Rodney, hit me up, you know, and he says, man, you're averaging six hours, and, and like four hours is entertainment. You're, you're wasting your life away, bud. Then I have the opportunity to do one of two things. I can thank him for being investigative and, and caring about my life, or I can get defensive. How dare you judge me? Always, oh, you Christians always judging, right? Because that's what we hear. Oh, you Christians, always judgy. Judgy with my lifestyle choices, judgy with the things that I do, judgy with the things I watch and the music I listen to and the clothes I wear and da 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 and the laundry list. All you ever want to do is judge. Sound familiar? I hear it a lot. And the reality is, is that we spend too much of our time trying to hold accountable people that don't know Jesus instead of the people that are in our lives that do. Why? Why would we want to hold accountable a world that doesn't follow Jesus to Jesus' standards? How does that show them God's love? Well, you know, God is righteous and truth and he's the standard. You're absolutely correct and all of that's true. Here's the thing. If they're not choosing Jesus, the standard doesn't apply to them yet. It doesn't. So I've got to love them where they're at to show them the standard of who Jesus is. Judgment isn't wrong. Can, can I tell you this? Judging people is not wrong. You may not hear this in any other church, okay? I, I, wanna, I want you to understand, maybe I should do a series on like how to judge properly, um, but the simplistic version of this is, is that you're, you're, the Bible says 
judge in the same manner in which you will be judged back. So if you judge wrongly, in other words, if Mr. Randy's falling away from Jesus and he's like, I want nothing to do with the church, and I'm like, oh, you're such a horrible sinner. You're drinking like a 30-pack an hour, you know. He's a man, um, and, 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 and you're just, you're, you're, you're cussing like a sailor, and you, you just ran over a dog for fun. Like, Randy doesn't do any of this. I had to make it really bad, okay? So some of you are like, dang, and he, he's on the worship team. I, I know, right? Um, but Randy's like, stop talking about my stuff. So, but, he, and, and I'm like, yeah, you're a horrible person, because that's what he hears. You're a horrible, horrible person. How could you live that way? That's bad judgment. Good judgment is when Mr. Randy says, hey, I'm struggling with something. And I'm inviting you into my life so that you can help keep me accountable to my walk with Christ because I want to live the way that Jesus wants. Good judgment says, hey, I'm going to let you know when I see some things that aren't connected to the word of God in your life. See, See, judgment isn't bad. It's just how we use it. And so many times we use it as a tool to attack the world instead of a tool to build up the church and to go walk life with one another. My job is to show them God's love and grace so that when they come to know this loving Savior, they'll see the standard and they'll want to want, uh, live that way. So we, our job as Christians is first is we've got to say, God, I surrender to you. Search me, God, and test me we got to allow God full access to our lives and the ability to speak to the offensive parts of our life. I love that, that line in, um, in Psalms 139. Point out anything in me that offends you. Can I challenge you? Make that part of your prayer time. Like, be real with God. God, I want you to point out the offensive things in my life. Now, here's the thing. If you're truly listening, he's going to show you. Your question, the question becomes, how are you going to handle all of that? Because listen, it's like praying for patience. He's not going to give you good days to see if you're patient. He's going to give you a tough day and say, you prayed for patience. Now walk with me in this. And you're going to be like, I didn't, this is not what I meant. That's why, you know, it's funny. Pastors and churches will tell you, don't pray for patience unless you really, really want it. Because it's not going to come in the form that you want. Because you don't know you have patience until you're tested. God, help me. To, God, I pray for faithfulness. Well, how is he going to test your faithfulness? But in other words, to walk you through something where you're going to hold on to him and attach yourself to him and not run back to the things that you're used to. See, our test and our searching and allowing God to dive in and, and, and speak to the offensive parts comes with us being willing to listen to him. So I, I put this question in there is, what will you do? When you ask for that prayer, what will you do? When you say, God, search my life and find the offensive things in my life according to your will, will you justify it or will you surrender it? Well, God, you don't understand. You know, that's, I, I, you know it's not as bad as other people because that's also a good go-to line, right? <laughs> oh, well, God, you know, I could be doing worse. And God goes, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not judging you according to other people's life. I'm saying, it, you asked me to find the offensive things in your life, and I'm showing you. Now, are you going to justify it, or are you going to surrender it? And here's the thing. There is no checklist on, like, how to be holy um, other than be close to Jesus. Like, be close to his word. Be close to him. Because here's the deal. Some things may be offensive in my life that are not offensive to Rodney, and not on a personal level, but on a holy level. 
okay? God may challenge me and say, hey, don't listen to any secular music for a year. And he may not give Rodney the same offensive check. Now, he may say, hey, don't listen to certain songs or, or don't listen to things that promote a certain lifestyle. But he may, he may say, hey, Scott, you need to walk away from certain things. And one of them is secular music. Or, or maybe it's the movies you watch. Or maybe it's the language that we speak. See, some things aren't just a, a cover of everything. It's individual. And so we have to say, God, am I going to surrender to your investigation? The second thing is, and, and I sound like a broken record, but I feel like this is the whole point of being a follower of Jesus, is we've got to have God's word in our life. And I'll beat this like a drum because one in four Christians, 25% of the church only reads their Bible. So it's not like, well, you're telling us something we already know. You're right, but, but 75% of the church globally doesn't read their word. <laughs> There's a problem there. Like, there's, there's, a, there's an issue there. And so I will beat this like a drum because I want to be a church that is in love with God's word and that realizes there are such good things in God's word. Psalms 119, 103 says this, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Psalms 119, 11 through 12 says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. See, the soft glow of a lamp on a dark night is a friendly companion. Ever been out in like the pitch dark? You know, and, and you're lucky that you either have like a flashlight or maybe modern day we have a phone with a flashlight. But back in the day, they would have had like a lamp. And, and if it's pitch dark, how many know that all your other senses start to work a little bit better? And so your ears start to become like werewolf sound, like you can hear things like five miles away. And you can start to smell things. You're like, oh, Lord, they're coming for me. There's an axe murder in these woods. Everything, like every little twig, every squirrel running up a tree is like, you know, somebody chasing after you. Listen, I, I'm secure in my manhood. I can tell the story. So I remember uh, living in Washington State, and uh, we lived in a neighborhood that was pretty spread out, and, uh, and I lived kind of, me and a couple other of uh, my friends lived at the top of the hill, and a lot of my friends lived at the bottom of this hill that led down to the Puget Sound. So at night, unlike this generation, they know nothing about, be just wandering through neighborhoods until it gets dark, you know, I would be at my friend's house until it got dark, and then I'd walk home. I'd walk home, and in this neighborhood, there was a section that was like just nothing but woods on both sides that had, I had to get to my house. And, 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 you know, this was before cell phones and all that. So if, you know, if I would have been taken, it would have been gone. Like I'd have been, you know, Hey, woo Scott, no more. And, and so I remember, you know, you just, you're just casually walking home. You walk by the woods and you are, you already, you know, things are sticking up on the back of your neck and all it takes is one sound, one sound. And all of a sudden you are a marathon runner. <laughs> like first I'm the speed walker. Like I'm not scared. I'm a man. Another sound, man, I'm Usain Bolt. I'm booking it home. I'm, I'm like sprinting. I get home. I'm like drenched in sweat. They're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, Billy Bob's out to kill me. But light, the moment you add light to a dark room, it creates a companion. Now I can see. It breaks up the shadows that bring fear to our journey. The lamp is also a protection against danger. I can see what I'm walking into. I can see what I hear. 
The word of God is like this, encouraging us with steady light. The light of truth exposes spiritual hazards and temptations that litter our path. A lot of times we trip up spiritually in our life because we're not exposing it to the word of God. Don't expose it to the cultural truth. Don't expose it to your best friend's advice of the truth. Expose it to the word of God. And I promise you two things. One, there's going to be things that hurt in the process. But two, the best things that you'll ever find will be exposed in the truth of God. The word of truth shows us the correct road and ultimately the journey where the journey ends. It's a light to our path and it's a lamp to guide us. I love, and I, and I already read Psalms 119, but I have hidden your word in my heart. Listen, if I, if I started playing like 70s and 80s song, how many think that y'all could, for the most part, you'd be like, oh yeah. Like if I, if I played top 40, 70s and 80s, y'all would naturally just start, it would just start to flow out, 90s and early 2000s. If I played you know, anything over the last 30 years that was in the top 100, y'all would be singing it, dancing, having a good time. It'd be like an adult silent disco. Y'all would have a blast. And it's interesting that the things that, so just stupid statistical stuff that, that my brain as a youth pastor for 15 years collected. Did you know that the average teenager, by the time they hit the, uh, 18 years old, will know the songs of 18, the words of 18,000 songs that they could care less about? Those aren't the songs they even like. 18,000 songs, statistically speaking, over 18 years that they don't even care about. There's songs they heard on the radio. You know, the, my, my favorite line as a youth pastor that I would hear, Pastor Scott, I don't, I don't even listen to the words. I like the beat. Shut up. No, you don't. <laughs> you like the words. <laughs> the beat's just catchy. But the reality is, is that we, 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 we get a hold of these words and they, or, you know, some of you with, with movie lines, like you're like a freaking Rolodex of like movie quotes. Like, how do you, I, I can't even, like, remember half the stuff in my brain, and y'all are quoting, you know, movies from, like, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. This is ridiculous. Like, whole movies. I'm like, my wife was clueless. You can't watch that movie with her, okay? She knows every line by heart. It's like, just, it just comes out. Like, I'm glad that I would never want to watch that movie with her, but if you did, you'd have to listen to her talk, okay? Be like, no, nah, I'm not even going to say it, um, with, with restraint. It's God's word. It says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you want to know the best way not to sin, hide God's word in your heart. The, the third thing is this, is that there's purpose in prayer. If we're not a church and a, and a people that believe in prayer, then we're, we're not Christians. We're just a social club. Can I tell you that? Like, if you don't believe in talking to God... If you don't find joy, talk, like, and I'm not saying that you, you know, I've told you this over and over and over and over again because I think that it's important because I think in the church sometimes we get it twisted. It, it's not that you have to spend hours on end like praying and chanting. And Craig Rochelle, I love, uh, he, he is a pastor in um, uh, Oklahoma and they have like, I don't know, 40 something uh, churches all throughout the nation, Life Church. And uh, he talks about praying. He's, he's ADD, um, self proclaimed anyways. And he goes, he goes, listen, I have like two minute prayers with God. <laughs> he goes, by, by the end of two minutes, I'm bored. He's bored. So I just shut up. And I think sometimes we think like, once we get started, we, we have to like, well, there's a certain amount, like God's going to like judge us and condemn us for like, oh, I didn't at least hit five minutes in prayer. Like there's no point in babbling on in prayer. If you've already got what you, what, what, what you, you know, here's what I'm, I need. I want to talk to God about. And then 
I'm not going to just keep going just to, because to be holy or look a certain way. I'm going to do what I need to do. And, and whether it's two minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, prayer is important. Psalms 5.3, listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and I wait expectantly. Psalms 5.3 sets up what prayer is. It is a request and a listening. Doesn't that sound like conversation? If I sat down and had a conversation with any of you, if all I did was talk, you'd be like, no, you're preaching. You're not talking with me. If we went out to lunch or if we had coffee, it would be reciprocal. I'd say something, you'd say something. I'd say something, you'd say something. Maybe we change the, 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 the topic five different times. But it's a conversation that ebbs and flows. And that's all it is with God. It's a conversation. And sometimes you need to know that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm done talking and I don't need to just keep babbling on. I think sometimes we throw in, you know, I'm not trying to offend anybody. But it cracks me up because in church, when people are asked to pray, they, they you know, we have filler words naturally like, um, uh, those are our filler words, because, and in prayer, we don't like to do those because they don't sound smart. So what do we, Father God, you, Father God, our lovely Father God, holy Father God. <sighs> if that's you, I'm not making fun of you. I'm going to challenge you to think about your prayer life a little bit. And, and, and I'm not calling you out, but I'm saying this, like, could you imagine if I was talking to Rodney? Hey, Rodney, how's Rodney's day, Rodney, doing Rodney? Sonny, Rodney, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Plumber, Rodney, good day, Rodney. Bless Rodney. Like, <laughs> he'd be like, shut up. But we have filler words, and so we, because nobody's ever told us, like, hey, just be normal when you pray. How do you talk to anybody? Like, you don't, you don't do that. <laughs> it would be weird. You wouldn't have friends. I promise you, you would not have friends <laughs> if every other word was their name. And then we get to prayer, and we think that we have to sound holy. And here's the problem. I would rather you live holy than sound holy. Forget what I would want. God would rather you live holy than sound holy. He just wants you to talk to him. So if you're having a bad day, it's okay to go to your quiet place in your room, maybe your car, throw some worship music on and just, that's all you can get out. That's all you get out. But you know what? The Bible says that he understands that. Isn't that cool? Like God understands those moments. Like he already knew what you're thinking. He just wants you to say it. He wants you to have a conversation. And then you sit quietly and you listen. Psalms 116.2, because he bends down to listen. God is not a God that's far off. He bends down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath. Not in numerical time frame, but as long as I am living, I will pray to him. It's just talking to a friend. And I think the biggest art of prayer that we miss is the art of waiting expectantly. Don't just speak. Give yourself time to listen. Allow God to speak to you. I would hope that our, our goal as a church is to become better prayers. I don't want to have people that are my prayer warriors. I think people have a gift for praying, but I want everybody to feel confident in, in, in speaking to God. That should be a goal of ours as the church, that we are, are strong prayer people. 
And it's not that everybody has to pray on a microphone, just that in your life, you are a strong prayer person. Last thing. The last thing that we, we find in, in staying close and connected and, and keeping our fire lit through the summer. So we've got surrendering to God. We've got keeping his word in our heart. We've got making prayer a, f- a focus and a purpose. And the last thing is praise. And it's not just what we do on Sunday morning. It's, it's a lifestyle, an attitude of praise. Psalms 104 says this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now, this, yes, would be talking about the temple and going to church. But here's the thing. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that we are the church now. And so it's literally wherever we go, we are entering our lives with praise and thankfulness to God. The best way to change a bad day is to praise God and be thankful. Hands down. Like, you want to change your bad day, just start blessing God. God, you're a good God. I thank you that I'm alive. I'm thankful that I have breath in my lungs. I'm thankful that I have a job to go to. I may not like it, but I'm thankful for it. You know, you can be thankful for something you don't like. It's okay. God, I'm thankful for my friends that are there for me. I'm thankful for a roof over my head. When you start to thank God for the things that are in your life, you'll quickly realize, man, I am more blessed than I ever even knew. The best way to change a bad day is to give God thanks and to praise him. The power of praise changes your attitude. It changes our focus. It changes our environment, all without changing our circumstance. I think so many times we're so focused on the circumstance changing and God is saying, listen, the circumstance a lot of times isn't going to change, but your attitude can change. Your environment can change. When they see you, they don't have to go, oh God, here we go. Randy's in the room again. No. You know, when he, because he, he has, uh, once a month, he, he can't play, he can't come to church, he works on a weekend. Man, I get excited the next week that he's, he's, he's coming back. I, I get excited because Randy's such a great guy, and he, and he carries himself in such a good way, and I, and I know he loves God. I want to be in the presence of Mr. Randy. And his circumstances don't change, but who he is carries weight because he lives a life of praise. It changes us. When you're upset with somebody, just start thanking God and see if how you view that person doesn't change. So I'll give you this. I called it the two-month challenge, July and August. I challenge you to do those four things for two months, okay? During the day, during your prayer time, just ask God, God, Investigate my life. Search my heart. If there's anything offensive in me, show it to me. Get in his word. Now, this doesn't mean that you're, you become like this holy script reader, like, you know, three hours a day, and I'm reading it in the original Greek and Hebrew. No. Get an app that sends a Bible verse to you every day. It's not hard. There's like a bajillion of them. I like Bible Gateway, and I like uh, the the version Bible. And they'll, and they'll send you text. <laughs> Here's your word for today. Get in his word. Spend some time praying, not just, ta- not just talking, talking and listening. Ask God to reveal himself. Ask him to answer you. Keep praying, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep searching God's heart. And lastly, make your life a life of praise. And when the enemy would come in and say, I told you they'd let you down. 
told you your life wasn't going to be the way that you wanted it to be. See, I told you you couldn't trust those people. That you would stop listening to the negativity of the enemy and you would go, no, 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 no. You know what? This isn't going to work and I'm going to praise God. I'm going I'm to live a life of thankfulness to God. Thanksgiving isn't just a great holiday in November where we get to eat a lot of turkey. It's a lifestyle for Christians. I believe it is the thing that actually makes us different than so many other people because we know a God that loves us and cares for us, that has grace and mercy, all of your sins forgiven, redeemed. Think about that. Think about the alternative if Jesus didn't come and die on the cross for our sins. One of two things. Either A, you would all have to convert to Judaism, Jewish, be Jewish, and we would have to like kill lambs and bulls once a year on, on the altar and, and even more so uh, through different sacrifices. Or we would be living in pagan cultures where you would never know the freedom of experiencing God's goodness. And therefore you would be condemned to an eternal life separated from God. See, here's the thing about hell. Hell isn't this, I don't know, we visualize it as what it is, some fiery furnace where the devil's got a pitchfork and he's like... <laughs> The biggest part about hell isn't the, the tormenting description of, of the Bible. It's that it's separated from God for all of eternity. The things that we long for on earth will no longer be a part of our life. And so why not live for God now so that you can live in peace for all of eternity? Why not search God's purpose now so that you have eternal purpose in the presence of God. Praise, prayer, God's word, and ask him to search us. I, I, I almost want to guarantee that if we did those things, our fall would be 10 times better than we could ever dream or imagine. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I pray right now for each and every person that is in this room, that Father, we don't just go through the motions during the summer. The God that we don't just do what, we, what we're used to doing. The God that we just get locked away and, and hide away in this, this idea that if I just go to church and if I just check the boxes and if I just, if I just get through, the God that I will miss out on all of the plans that you have for me. God, I pray your purpose over each and every person that is here this morning. And I pray, God, that they would find ways to stay spiritually fit and spiritually strong through the summertime. That, God, that when, as we walk through this, that, God, even as a church, we would grow through the summertime. That when we hit the fall season, we would say there's something inside of us that has built a foundation through the summer that is stronger than we could ever dream or imagine. God, I pray miracles in people's lives. I pray, God, answered prayers. God, I pray for stronger family relationships. I pray for, for, for better relationships between husbands and wives and uh, moms and dads and kids. God, I pray for better uh, job opportunities. That God, that while we are searching your heart and getting close to you, that God, that you would also be putting your hand over our life and strengthening our soul. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We give you glory and honor, and we look forward to a great week where we can bless people. God, keep people safe as we celebrate America's birthday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.